listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Amen. You may be seated. My name is Ricardo, and I am part of the teaching team. And uh, we are currently in this series called uh, Come and Rest. Uh, finding rest in every situation. And this is our last week in the series. Um, we're going to be covering the last of the situations, so to speak, in which we can find rest. Uh, this series is very personal to me for a variety of reasons, which I'll get to later. But before I jump into that, I, I want to kind of give you a recap of what we've done. So the first thing that we did on week one was uh, talk about how we need to sometimes find rest from ourselves. In particular, finding rest from ourselves from our negative self-talk. We talked about the fact that all of us as human beings, especially in our brokenness as sinners, we experience uh, lapses or a continual uh, amount of negative self-talk. That is, self-defeating, kind of self-esteem lowering talk that's always defeatist, et cetera, et cetera. And people experience it at different levels, but we talked about how to find rest from that negative self-talk and from the pressures that we exert on ourselves. Um, Week two, uh, now, of course, by the way, before I get to week two, we said that that would be, of course, rooted in Jesus, and we discussed a method in week one on how to use biblical truth to shut down the negative self-talk in our lives. That's what we did in week one. So that way we could find rest from that self-talk that we experience, the negative one. Week two, we talked about uh, rest from burnout, and Pastor Jason brought it talking about um, how uh, basically Elijah experienced burnout and some of the signs that we could have identified had, uh, had we known these signs before, we could have identified that we were experiencing burnout had we been Elijah, and how we can kind of learn to identify those warnings, those red flags of burnout, and also how to find rest in God when we do experience burnout. Uh, And then in week three, uh, Brian Bell talked about finding rest in the midst of the storm, a powerful message as he related even to uh, some of his own personal uh, storms in his life currently right now. He, uh, he talked about when Jesus uh, was in the boat with the disciples, and Jesus eventually says, uh, peace be still to the storm. Um, and then finally, we arrive at week four today. Um, and if I were to give today's sermon a title, it would be finding rest from saving yourself. Um, finding rest from saving yourself. And I want to kind of unpack that um, uh, ironically, what I, what I think about when I, when I think about finding rest from saving yourself, I think about all the times that I would bite m- on more than I could chew. And so the first time I remember, um, in particular, I was in this beautiful island off the coast of Puerto Rico. It's part of Puerto Rico. Uh, it's called Culebra. And uh, it has one of the most beautiful beaches in the world. And I was with some friends. I, I think I was a freshman in high school, more or less. And, and, uh, and I had... Uh, a friend of mine who was a few years older, and, uh, and he asked, hey, can you do a backflip? Can you do a backflip? And so it's, the beach is there, so I could go 
right to the, you know, to the edge of the water and try to do a backflip there. And if it goes wrong, then I'll land in the water, presumably, so I'll be okay. And so I said, yeah, totally, I can do a backflip. Um, and, and he's like, oh, show me, show me how to do it. Um, and so in my mind, I was thinking, yeah, this is totally e easy. And so I walk up to the water to sufficient, uh, you know, depth uh, where I could possibly <laughs> just relieve any uh, major injuries that could happen. And so I proceeded to do the ugliest attempt at a backflip ever seen in history. And I landed straight on my neck under the water. And I felt my neck go like that. And at that moment, for a split second, I thought, I'm dying right now. I'm dying. I think this is what you feel right before you crack your neck and die, uh, or as you crack your neck and die. And um, but you fast forward to, uh, I think, my second year of college, and I did something just as stupid as that. I was uh, taking an elective. Uh, uh, I think it was a PE elective or something like that, strength and conditioning or something like that. And, uh, and our final exam was to, do, was to demonstrate to the other students a series of exercises, like perform a workout routine. And so we were paired with different students, and I was paired with, with one student, and I literally did nothing of preparation. Uh, and so he, he said, he brings the list to me and he says, all right, we're gonna do this. There's a plank, we're gonna do crunches, we're gonna do this, and we're gonna do a handstand up against the wall. We're gonna do a handstand up against the wall. And I don't know why, I thought, this is cake, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do the handstand against the wall. And so, of course, we proceed to do the workout, and so the point is we're supposed to do the handstand up against the wall at the same time, and of course, he does it perfectly. I stand up for a second, not even a second on my hands, and once again, neck crunch, push, and everyone starts laughing, but what's worse is I got up immediately and tried to do it again, and bam, landed on my head, my neck cr partially cracked a bit, or at least I heard it and felt it. Um, and so, it, it, I mean, of course, the, the, main, the main thing, behind, the main lesson has nothing to do with today's message today, but, you know, uh, I should have prepared probably for both of those instances. But there's something that I relate to in terms of uh, my spiritual journey with those stories, which is... Um, Sometimes we can try to bite on more than we can chew. We think that we can do this and we, and we go uh, uh, upon the task that we've been assigned or whatever it is. But in particular, in our spiritual journey, sometimes we try to do more than we are meant to do. And I've shared, you know, on a more serious note, I've shared often on my, my uh, I guess you could say, my psychological journey uh, and the fact that I, I struggle with OCD. But I don't know if I've ever shared how I was diagnosed with OCD um, because it's very, very relevant to this topic today of finding rest from saving yourself. See, I've often shared, yes, that I have obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety disorders, but how I came to that, uh, sometimes I don't really talk about too much. What happened was, I think I was uh, about... I was in the eighth grade, somewhere around there, and, uh, and I started reading the Bible. I was going to, to, uh, to a Catholic church back then. My family was Catholic, um, and uh, one of my grandmothers started introducing me to some things that some Catholics do. Not all Catholics, but some Catholics do. One of them is the rosary, um, and the other one is called a novena. I don't think there's an English word for this, uh, although the technically 
the English translation would be ninth, but I think in English you also say novena within Catholic circles. And so I would do the rosary and the novena um, as I felt that that would give me a better chance at someday when I die being in God's presence. See, I was afraid that I wasn't going to measure up to it. And so I, every night before I went to bed, I would do a novena and a rosary. And this would take me approximately about an hour, an hour to do. Um, now, what would happen was I would fall asleep sometimes while I was doing it because newsflash, praying both of those are boring. <laughs> They're really boring. They're just repetitive and they keep going and droning. Uh, it, it's, it's the same thing over and over again in a sense. And, uh, and I would fall asleep. And then my mom would walk into my room and find me asleep upon my bed and she'd wake me up and I'd realize I had not finished either the rosary or the novena and I'd start screaming. I'd, I'd go into a panic attack with tears in my eyes and, and that's when my mom realized that something was wrong. And the, her first attempt was to take me to talk to a priest and then the priest said, lady, what your son does, I don't do. <laughs> you should take him to see a psychiatrist, which was the, the best advice he could have provided. Now, something I share even less is that um, the reason I was praying the rosary in particular every day is because in the back of this booklet where I had learned about the rosary, there was this weird phrase, it's not a biblical phrase, okay? And, and it's, it's uh, even among Catholics, it's incorrect. But it, it said in Spanish, basically, I'm translating into English, it said, whoever prays the rosary every day, the Virgin Mary will take to heaven. That's what it said. And so, again, I was so concerned with trying to get to heaven. I was so afraid that I wouldn't measure up that that's one of the many things, one of my many items to check off my daily list to hopefully one day make it to heaven because I was aware of my sinful nature. And so that's what eventually, when, of course, I would wake up in a prayer, panic because I hadn't finished my prayers, eventually my mom takes me to the psychiatrist and we realize actually what he's doing is a condition known as obsessive-compulsive disorder. And... I've kind of come full circle with this whole experience because on Friday, I still see a therapist because I still have a condition and I see, I see both a therapist and a psychiatrist. And as I walked the other day into the psychiatrist's office, I saw the passage that we're using in this series on the wall because he's a Christian uh, uh, therapist. It said, Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And it just made me realize that even though right now I wasn't necessarily struggling, I'm not, I wasn't struggling with the religious aspect of my obsessive compulsive nature, I realized that I had ended up there with a journey that started because I was restless trying to find salvation. And especially because the context of that passage is precisely that. Matthew 11, 28, 30, that's our main scripture today. That's where we're going to read. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Now, keep in mind the context before I read it, as you pull it up either on your phones or on your Bibles, or you see it on the screen. Uh, keep in mind the context here, um, at least per uh, many theologians and uh, what you can find typically in commentaries or in study Bibles, is that Jesus is speaking to a people that have been burdened and broken by many to-do lists. 
to become worthy of God. Just like I had struggled with my rosary and my novenas and all these things that I was trying to do to be worthy of God and to someday make it into heaven, he is speaking to people that were so tired, they felt, rightly so, that they couldn't meet this list of demands in order to make it to heaven. That's who he's speaking to. When he talks about labor, when he talks about burden, that's what he's speaking to. Keep that in mind. And so he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls, not necessarily physical uh, rest, right? Specifically the spiritual rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so this is the most important type of rest that we should try to solve immediately in our lives because precisely what Jesus is speaking to is give up, take a rest from trying to earn my approval, God's approval. Because you can't, you cannot, you never will earn God's approval, take a rest, you're unqualified, you're biting on more than you can chew, right? Just like I was doing, just like when I tried the backflip. You're trying too much that you're not, you're not prepared for it, you can't take the load. Now, let's break this apart a little bit. Let's try to understand specifically what he's speaking, because there's a lot of language there that maybe if you've grown up in church, you're accustomed to, but maybe uh, you might not be as familiar with. For example, the word yoke and uh, talking about a burden. What particular burden is he talking about? So let's start first with the invitation from Jesus to come. He says, come to me. Now, the first thing that we should understand about this is that Jesus is making this rest available through an invitation, through a personal invitation of trust. That's what come is about. It is about trust. He's saying he's identifying you, looking at you where you are in your life if you struggle with, again, trying to do too much to earn God's approval or trying to do anything to earn God's approval, in fact. And he's identifying you and saying, drop that load. You're trying, everything you do during your day is to earn God's approval. You're never going to do that. Stop that. Come over here. You have access already. You can come to me right now. Trust in me as your savior, as the person that already has earned the approval for you. Come is an invitation to personal trust. And it's really hard because we are hardwired to try to earn God's favor, God's approval. Even as seasoned Christians, we have people in this room that have been Christians for over 30 years, even longer. And we still sometimes, maybe when we wake up a morning and don't pray, we're like, oh, man, I didn't pray. God is upset at me. I I. I Man, uh, let, let me make up for it. I'm going to pray, pray twice as long, twice as hard today. I fell back on my uh, Bible reading plan. And so, you know, it's important that we pray. It's important that we read the Bible. But what is our motivation? 
If our motivation is to earn God's approval, it's useless. We're trying to do too much. We can't, plus it's already, it's already been achieved. So the invitation to come is an invitation to trust in him that he earned the approval for you. He did that for you. And again, even if you're a seasoned Christian, you need this reminder. I need this reminder daily. Because sometimes we read the Bible and we pray and we're like, ah, yes, I got that done. God is happy with me today. <laughs> and that's not why we pray. That's not why we should pray, at least. It's not why we should read the Bible. See, the invitation to come and to trust is to say, even as a seasoned Christian, I never earn God's approval. That's a done deal. I am letting go of trying to earn his approval, and I am walking into the earned approval that Jesus has provided on the cross, through his life, through his death on the cross, and through his resurrection. You are approved because of what he did, not because of what you did. So come, trust in what he's done, Walk away from trying to earn it. You can't. The second thing that we see here is that Jesus gives us a few more words of instruction. He says, take and learn. In particular, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So notice these two elements... First, come, and then second, take and learn together. They are equated with finding rest in your souls. If you still see the passage there, just go back to it for a moment. It says, come to me, da 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 da, da. I will give you rest. Then in verse 29, take, learn, you will find rest for your souls. You need these two, right? You need to come, and you need to take and learn. It's how you achieve rest. And in fact, they're two sides of the same coin. But let's unpack what it means. Now, yoke. What Jesus is referring to in particular here is the traditional definition of a wooden bar that's placed typically on oxen or other two animals, on a pair of animals. And they're joined at the heads or necks. And they work together to guess what? To pull along a burden. To pull along something that's heavy. Something that's really hard for you to drag around. So you put this... Uh, device on two oxen, and they drag it along. They work together to bring it al along. Now, that still sounds weird if, again, you're, you haven't grown up in church. sounds like, wait, okay, so I'm being called an ox now? What the heck is that all about? But in reality, it was a common metaphor back in the day to the audience that Jesus was speaking to in Judaism. It was very common because the Pharisees, they had this way of interpreting the law. Um, and, um, and it, well, even before we get to that part, here's what the Pharisees would, uh, or in general, excuse me, the Jewish leaders would do. If you were a rabbi, if you were a Jewish teacher, and you would take upon a disciple, then that means that you would be yoke. If you're that disciple, you're yoking yourself to that teacher. That's what you're doing. Now, the yoke also represented his part or her particular way of following the law. And so usually it went even beyond what you would see in the law in the Bible. So it, just, it wasn't just um, don't do work on the Sabbath. 
don't do work on Saturday, it was things like you can't tie a certain type of knot on Saturday. You can't do a certain type of thing, activity, if your animal falls in a ditch, etc. Like all these different things, they were added regulations to the already existing uh, law of God. And so it became a burden. It became this heavy thing that they couldn't, uh, they couldn't carry. And so the yoke of, in particular, the Pharisees, which were the people who were adding all these lists, it was very burdensome. It was heavy. Now you understand what Jesus says then if we try to think again of the yoke in that way. The yoke was one way of referring to subscribing to a religious teacher, to subscribing to his way of following the law with a set of extra, they were very extra, a set of extra items to do. Jesus says to that, take my yoke, not their yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then it says in verse 30, for my yoke is easy. It's not as complicated as theirs. And my burden is light. What you're carrying is light with me because I do the heavy lifting. Jesus did the heavy lifting. So again, when we see this metaphor of the yoke, what we're being told is that, look, when you subscribe to following Jesus, you don't have to do this long list of items. He did that work for you. What you have to do is simply commit to following him. See, this list of regulations gets thrown out the window, and what you get in come and in take and learn, taking your yoke and learning from him, is simply a committed disciple. That's what it is. So Jesus is reminding us of how we find rest from trying to earn God's approval by two things. Number one, trust. Number two, become a committed disciple. That's it. That's the summary of what Jesus is saying to you and I. He's saying, trust that I have done it. Trust that I can do it and become a committed disciple. Now, a committed disciple is someone that has committed themselves to Jesus lifelong, lifetime. Right? They've committed themselves to follow Jesus' way. So this is very different from follow this extensive list. Try to do all of these, and then maybe you get to see God. Maybe you make it into heaven. Maybe you're saved from judgment. No. Jesus says, come, it's done. I give you rest from trying to earn what you could never lift. You can't lift that burden up. I can come trust in me and learn from me. Come and learn from me. See, the rest that Jesus offers ultimately, the most important rest that we're being told about here, is that Jesus is the opposite of what we would expect. Jesus tells us obedience doesn't lead to salvation. Rather, salvation has been bought by him, and obedience is a consequence of that. Sometimes Christians might be led to think that, well, I'm saved, so my obedience is kind of like, eh, it's hit or miss. It's not that Christianity is a lawless 
faith. On the contrary, it is quite full of a set of things that Jesus tells us to follow him through. But the difference from Christianity and everything else that the world has to offer is that every other list tells you, be good enough, obey, and if you perfectly obey, you're saved. Perfectly obey, and then you're saved. And Jesus flipped the script on that. He said, I save you, and then you learn to obey with me. You're yoked to me, and you're going to learn to obey with me. But your salvation is not dependent on your obedience. The problem is the world hears that and they think we're saying you don't have to obey. No, 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 no. It's a matter of because I'm saved, because I'm yoked to Jesus, I now follow him. And he is making the burden light because he did all of the heavy lifting. He earned it for me. The real burden was on the cross. The real burden was on the cross. So we, if we, if we realize this, that there's nothing that you and I can do to earn God's approval. There's nothing you can do to make him happier about who you are except to commit, to come and trust, and then become a committed disciple. Why is it that sometimes we do what we should do but because we're trying to earn his approval? We pray because we're trying to earn his approval. We... We, we read the Bible because we're trying to learn his approval. We tithe because we're trying to earn his approval. Here's the idea. There are various reasons that sometimes make us forget this concept that Jesus teaches us. There are various conditions that sometimes we fall into, various patterns of thinking or various things that we simply forget that lead us to become restless spiritually. So this message is meant for two, basically two types of people, the Christian and the non-Christian. If you're not a Christian, Jesus is inviting you to eternal rest that you've never experienced. But if you're a Christian, he's inviting you to experience rest because maybe you've forgotten about the yoke that is easy, the burden that is light. So what I want us to do is look at three reasons we become spiritually uneasy and restless we've already learned from jesus how to achieve rest spiritually come which means trust and take and learn which means become a committed disciple he did the work for us but now we obey out of a changed heart but why do we still sometimes become restless there's three at least at least three reasons that we're going to look at today the first of us, the first one of these is sometimes we obey out of fear, and that causes restlessness. Obedience out of fear. Uh, I tithe because, well, if not, God gets angry at me. I do this because if not, God is upset with me. So we obey out of fear. Now, be careful. I am not saying you shouldn't have fear of God. What I'm saying is there's qualitatively two distinctions between fear of God and obedience out of fear. They're very different. Fear of God is a respect of who God is, who the God, the creator, the sustainer is, the savior. It is a respect of who God is. But obedience, that's a good fear, right? Fear of God, the way the Bible speaks of it, that's a good fear. It's like when I, when I go to the Grand Canyon and I step to the ledge, 
like I, I am enjoying every second of it, but I get a little fear there. It's like, ooh, I respect this. If I fall here, I'm, I'm screwed, right? That's a good fear. It's a good fear to have, right? Like that's, that's the type of, it's a fear and wonder that with which we approach God when we say fear of God. But obedience out of fear is, is not the good type of obedience because it's the type of obedience that says, yeah, I'm, I'm going to pick up my room because mom is watching me right now. That's not a good obedience. Furthermore, it's not biblical. First John chapter 4. John reminds us that obedience out of fear has no place if you have rested in Jesus, right? Obedience out of fear has no place in the person that has found rest in Jesus. No place. Get rid of it. And I'm saying this because as a Christian, we all struggle with this. We sometimes obey out of fear. Man, I'm a Christian. I'm messing up. I'm jacking up. And we obey out of fear. Here's what John tells us in 1 John chapter 4. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear, listen to this, has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love rather because he loved first. He first loved us, excuse me. So what, what, what is John saying here? He's speaking about the fact that if fear is something that's predominantly motivating your obedience, then you haven't rested in Jesus. You haven't found that salvation that he offers freely. Fear, it says there, has not been perfected in love. Fear has to do with punishment. Why are you afraid of punishment if Jesus was punished for you? Why are you afraid of punishment? I need to say it again. Someone needs to hear it. Why are you afraid of punishment if Jesus was punished for you? We don't obey out of fear of punishment. We obey out of love. Because he loved me as a response, I love. So obviously, you're going to become spiritually restless. Even if you've rested in Jesus, you will become spiritually restless if you are obeying out of fear because you're fearing that you're going to get something that actually Jesus said, no, I've negated that. You're never getting that punishment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. You have nothing to fear if you've truly rested in Jesus. So again, if you are obeying out of fear, make it about love. Reason number two, we become restless spiritually. Plain old-fashioned disobedience. Plain old-fashioned disobedience. Now, this mean, what do I mean by disobedience here? We all disobey. We're, the, the Bible teaches us that the only moment that we are fully perfected by Jesus is when we come face to face with him. So we, we're, we're all trying to be perfect, not because we're trying to earn salvation, but because we're trying to be more like the Father, as Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is. But even though we all disobey, there's a certain type of disobedience that is a careless disobedience. And that's what I'm talking about here. This disobedience that doesn't really care to modify or to check your behavior. Yeah, I'm doing this, whatever. Grace of God has me. So it's the opposite end of the spectrum. 
right? This is the opposite end of the spectrum. This disobedience doesn't care, is not concerned with. It's really a disobedience that never took the yoke on, right? So this disobedience is taking the yoke off and saying, I, I, I'm still coming to you, Jesus, but I'm taking the yoke off. And remember, Jesus says, you want rest? You need both. Come and put the yoke on. Put the yoke on. So unchecked, careless disobedience is, if you're a Christian and experiencing this, you're trying to take that yoke off. You're trying to say, no, you just want to get the, the forgiveness part. You don't want to obey. And here's the problem. It's, if you are truly a Christian, again, if you're truly a Christian, it's going to cause you to be restless. Even though you're happy in your own mind, thinking that, again, happy with you know, quotation marks in the air, if you're happy disobeying and doing what you want, you are going to be grieved if you are truly a Christian. Paul tells us this very fact in Ephesians 4, verse 30. He tells us, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If you are a Christian, that Holy Spirit is in you. You've been sealed for this day. In fact, in Ephesians 1, he talks about that. You're grieving the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in you. You're a temple. You're part of a temple of Jesus. So disobedience will cause you to be restless. You will lose that aspect of rest that Jesus gives us if you're just leaving your disobedience unchecked. Again, make no mistake, I'm not saying perfect obedience because we're all trying here and that's why we need Jesus. But careless disobedience, unchecked, I don't care, I can deal with that later when I'm on my deathbed, that type of disobedience is dangerous because it either means that I'm not a Christian or secondly, if I'm a Christian, I'm really deep down inside grieving myself. I'm really causing myself to be under constant grief. I have a divided world within me. But Reason number three is maybe you are disobeying because you've never come to rest in Jesus. Maybe you think that one day, you know, one day in that old church, they did one of those, you know, altar calls, and I walked up to the front, I closed my eyes, and someone prayed with me, and yes, and that was it. And, and maybe you did that, and maybe you are a Christian. But maybe, maybe the yoke wasn't received. Maybe you went to Jesus' invitation, come, but you didn't realize, oh, I, I do have to be his disciple. He earned it for me, and all I have to do is commit to be a disciple, but I haven't really committed to be a disciple. So maybe you haven't found his rest. So whatever, the, whatever these three might be, this is a moment, as the worship team comes back, this is a moment for you to ask yourself and think about where you fall. If you're obeying out of fear, we've all been there. Pastors do it. I do it. You do it. If you're obeying out of fear, remind yourself that you don't have to fear punishment because Jesus was punished for you. If you're disobeying kind of unchecked, Remind yourself that you're causing yourself to be in turmoil because the Holy Spirit lives in you and you're grieving the Holy Spirit. And if you've never really said, Jesus, I surrender. 
I'm coming to you, but I realize that coming to you means surrendering my life. If you've never done that, then this is the awesome moment where you get to do that. It's not forced, by the way. Jesus says, come. He doesn't drag you. He's asking you to come. And so it's up to you, but it's the most important decision that you can make because it is precisely for your redemption. It is precisely because you can't save yourself, because you can't lift the burden of religious duties that Jesus died and was punished for you. He was punished for you. Listen to that again. He was punished for your sins. For every single sin you've done and every future sin. And it's over. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Because he did it all for you. You just have to be his disciple. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you because you offer us rest. But today, as we conclude this series, we realize the most important rest is the spiritual one. The one that rests from trying to earn salvation, from trying to earn entrance into heaven by doing good things. We don't declare that we could do anything we want, but rather we know that we can't earn our way in. We just come to you, become your disciple, end of story, game over. We are guaranteed entrance to heaven. That's why your yoke is easy and your burden is light, because you just ask for commitment. Father, I ask that if people are restless because they obey out of fear, remind them that there is no fear in love. That the punishment is is done with. We don't have to fear, but we serve and obey out of love. Remind us if we're someone that disobeys, not to take for granted the blood spilt by Jesus Christ. That we have received a free gift because we couldn't earn our salvation. So may we not take it for granted. May we not grieve ourselves within, in the Holy Spirit, grieving ourselves, grieving the Holy Spirit in us. But more importantly, Father, I ask that if anyone feels like they've never actually taken that step of saying, I declare that I will follow you the rest of my days, forgive me of my sins, that if anyone here in this room has done that with everyone's eyes closed and heads down, if that's you, lift up your hand. If you feel like this is the moment that you come to reckon with it, thank you. I've seen your hand. You can put it down. Thank you. Father, I ask for any, any others that might be still thinking about it. If they want, they could come after service talk to us. We can pray with them. But more importantly, that we may all, Christian or not Christian, find rest. If we're Christians, that we would rest in your approval of us through Jesus. And if we're not, that we would seek you to get salvation freely and not by our work. As the ushers come forth, we pray for the tithes and offerings. We pray that 
the little that we may give, whatever it is, that it would be multiplied, supernaturally multiplied, Father, that you would use it to bless others, to bless this church, not for prosperity, but rather for salvation of those in the city of Redlands and beyond. That you would just make this a great commission church that can extend its hands beyond where we currently are as we already have into Spain and into Mexico. Use these tithes and offerings to bless those that don't know you and bring them to the fold. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.